We've all experienced it. You plan your meals, you spend precious time after a busy day cooking a tasty and nutritious meal for your family, only to have your picky kid turn their nose up at it. They'd much rather just have some mac and cheese or a hot dog. There are ways to avoid this battle at the table. Today, we'll teach you some tips and tricks that we've learned with our two young boys to make sure they're getting all the nutrients they need and enjoying their meals. Like creative, fun ways of hiding veggies and ways to make the whole dinnertime routine fun. Hi, I'm Dr. Brianna Sinatra. And I'm Dr. Drew Sinatra. And this is Be Healthistic. Welcome to Be Healthistic the podcast that is more than just health and wellness information. It's here to help you explore your options across traditional and natural medicine so that you can make informed decisions for you and your family. This podcast illuminates the whole story about holistic health by providing access to the expertise of Drs. Steve and Drew Sinatra, who together have decades of integrative health experience. Be Healthistic is powered by our friends at Healthy Directions. Now, let's join our hosts. Hi, folks. If you like what you hear today and you want to listen to future conversations on all things integrative and holistic health, subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Also, check out and subscribe to our YouTube channel, which will feature video versions of our episodes plus video extras you won't want to miss. And finally, we have more with me, Dr. Drew Sinatra, my dad, Dr. Steve Sinatra, and other Healthy Directions experts over on the Healthy Directions site. So visit HealthyDirections.com to explore our database of well-researched content and information. And of course, you can always follow us on our social media channels. All right. Well, this is Dr. Drew Sinatra, and I've got my wife, Dr. Brianna Sinatra, on the podcast today. Hi. And today, this is another episode about Ask Dr. Mom and Dr. Dad, and we'll be talking about fussy eaters because, well, we have two kids and uh, we have a boy that's seven and a half and another boy that is four and a half. And as parents, we struggle too. So we wanted to provide some tips for you on what we do to allow our children to eat healthier foods. Okay. Well, Brianna, let's talk about what we do. I mean, how do we do it? Because look, we struggle as well, just like other parents listening to this podcast. So how do we do it? Absolutely. It is a common issue. And I definitely see parents in my practice coming in at all different ages and stages, not quite happy with what their kid is eating or having a struggle around the dinner table. So we will talk about all of that. But I think an important place to start is that if you have an idea of how you want your child's nutrition to be at a young age, the best place to think about this and start creating an impact is actually the moment you find out that you're pregnant. Because I think maybe what people don't realize is that taste develops as your child is in the womb. So their taste buds are actually maturing or starting to be developed even as early as three to four months. So what the mother chooses to incorporate in her diet is what the baby will start tasting and what they might start getting a preference to. So incorporating strong foods like garlic and ginger and spices 
can really help set the stage later on for maybe a wider acceptance of different spices by your child. Well, this is probably the reason why our kids love Indian food, because you ate a lot of Indian food during pregnancy. I craved so much Indian food when I was pregnant with our first son. It was almost comical. And I didn't really have a preference to spice before that. But, you know, women crave different things during pregnancy. That's what it was for me. So I think don't be afraid to introduce all those different spices when you're pregnant and then during the food introduction years. And we can start talking about that too. Well, speaking of Indian food, while we're on the topic, we went two nights ago to an Indian restaurant here in town. We walked over there with our boys and we ordered the bang and barta, which is an eggplant dish. We had the chicken sag and we also had a coconut curry lamb dish mm-hmm. and some gluten-free naan. Yeah, it was all gluten and dairy free. All gluten dairy free. Our kids loved it. And what I love about Indian food is not only the spice, but also the way that they hide veggies in the food, right? I mean, the the chicken sag that we had is full of spinach that's pureed in there. Yep. And Kai was just devouring that thing on his gluten-free naan. So there's so many good things about Indian food. I can't speak highly enough about it. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> <laughs> So what else in terms of the pregnancy piece? Like what else can you think of in terms of, you know, the spice component or introducing different foods? Yeah. I mean, I think there's so much more awareness about your diet during pregnancy and how that is so important for the health of our child. And so I think just another element of that to think about is incorporating different spices, because not only do those spices have antioxidants and great aspects for your health and your future baby's health, but it's also a wonderful way to start incorporating different tastes for you and then for your baby as your child is tasting it through your amniotic fluid as they're developing. Exactly. Well, for listeners that uh, aren't pregnant, right, they already have children. Let's say they've got an infant on hand. Uh, Let's tell our listeners about what we did with baby led weaning and, and why we did that. Yeah, absolutely. So if you are currently breastfeeding or formula feeding your child and you're getting close to the time when you would start introducing foods, something that was super positive for our family and that I've seen be really positive for a number of my patients who this resonates with is something called baby led weaning. And so this isn't new. This is something that cultures around the world have probably been doing for years and years. But in North America, Europe, it was kind of popularized with a book called Baby Led Weaning by Jill Rapley and Tracy Marquette. And so it is the idea of not pureeing foods and then spoon feeding it to your child. Instead, it is still maintaining either the breast milk or the formula as their primary form of nutrition, but giving them the space to explore whole pieces of food safe sizes of food. So we'll talk a little bit more about that. But if you are interested in this, I strongly recommend reading the book because it will just go through a lot of the safety aspects about it. Well, as a, as a dad who, uh, you know, changing Kai's diaper was my first diaper. I mean, I had very little experience raising kids. And so once we did this baby led weaning, uh, it was a little frightening for me, actually. And I remember there was a time where I I looked at Kai and he looked like he was struggling or almost like gagging on one of the foods. It may have been like a cucumber stalk or it may have been celery stalk or something like that. Can you tell our audience about that gag reflex and the development of that and how it gets delayed? Yeah. So as far as the safety, I mean, you want to feel comfortable with it. But I think another important thing is for you to feel comfortable with it, understand what's going on so you can educate those around you, because I think it can be startling, too, for 
I mean, hopefully you're having that conversation with the father too. And you guys are making that decision together, but even grandparents, you know, we had grandparents watching our kids eat and they were concerned or the child starts to cough or look like they're gagging and their instinct is to go (gasps) or pat them on the back when actually that's not what you want to do. So let me just explain. So the idea is that you put out pieces of food and then the child self feeds. So for example, if a child puts like a, like they took a bite of a soft cucumber or something, they're moving it around in their mouth. And actually as an infant, the gag reflex is a lot more anterior on the tongue. So as we, okay. So it's the location of it. That's different. Not necessarily that it's delayed. Exactly. Yeah. It's more anterior. So as we age, that gag reflex gets triggered further, further back on the tongue. So it's a bit of a safety mechanism, right? The child will actually start to gag and push that food forward away from their airway and their epiglottis in the back of their throat, that little piece of tissue that's hanging down a lot sooner. So we think they're gagging because it's close to their airway and they might be choking, but it's not. It's actually just in a place where their tongue, where their natural instinct is to go and push it forward. Mm -hmm. So you want to stay calm, watch them, make sure that they're safe. This is never something you let a child do unsupervised by themselves. You always want to be there with them. But what you don't want to do is, you know, gasp or look startled yourself or do anything that will make them scared and them to go (gasps) because then that could push food back. So, Mm -hmm. so if it's, if it's something that you want to do, I think, you know, reading about it, making sure that you feel comfortable with the safety is super important. But, um, but if I can, I just love to say like four main reasons for why I thought it was so beneficial for our family and starting off with a healthy eating. So one of the biggest things was, you know, even before our child was ready to eat and when you are looking for readiness, it's signs of being able to sit on their own, you know, they, they're like grabbing at the food that you have. They might already have some teeth coming in. There's some important signs to be ready for. It's not necessarily just based on age. You know, sometimes they say around four months, sometimes they say around six months. It might be different for each child, but I think they really need to be showing those readiness signs. So even before that, when they were able to sit, we would have the baby and the family up at the dinner table with us so that they could be watching us eat. And they were part of the family meal. And so one of the things I really love about baby led weaning is they're part of the dinner table from the get go. You know, you have high chair with a a big wide tray or you push the baby's chair right up to the table. There's certain ones where then they can actually have the table be the their eating surface as well. And you just lay out a variety of food in front of them. And so they They're eating off their plate, just like everyone else around the table is eating off their plate. Another beautiful thing is that it exposes them to the taste, the texture, the aroma of the food without an agenda. You know, I felt like, didn't you feel like it really gave us an opportunity to connect, eat our own meal around the dinner table? We weren't focused on, Mm -hmm. on the baby spoon feeding the baby first and then eating for ourselves. Well, it really set the stage too for them eating healthy foods in the future because that whole texture piece or the color of something is so important. When I cook a meal, let's say if I cook that zucchini bolognese, yeah. which the first couple of times the kids loved it, right? They absolutely loved it. And then I'll cook it again and they'll look at it and say, I, I don't want that. And I'm like, you haven't even tried it yet. It tastes so good. You loved it last week. 
you haven't even tried it yet. But they get so they get so caught up in just looking at the texture or the taste or something or the you know the way the food looks and such. And um, I think that has helped us later on though in terms of them exploring different foods. Yeah. So I'm, I'm looking back. I am so grateful that we did that because it 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 has set the stage for us going forward. Yeah. Absolutely. I think another thing that it's really great for is developing motor development, right? If you're the one actively feeding your child, they're more of a passive eater versus if food is like another activity for them, they are increasing their hand-eye coordination by getting the food to their mouth. I remember them first like taking the food and like smacking it to their cheek and then using their other hand to gradually move that hand in that face There's avocado towards their mouth. Over the face. Yes. It's not for the faint of heart. It will be messy. It is a whole activity on itself. And then another point that I just wanted to bring up that I think is super important is it's also an opportunity for self-regulation for a child, right? If you put safe pieces of food in front of a child and they start eating when they are done, they are done versus if you're spoon feeding a child and then they start to turn their face away. I think it's easy as a parent to think, oh, you know, we didn't finish this bowl or this jar. I just want them to have a little bit more. And so you might, you know, open the hanger or try and get more food in their mouth. And I think we don't we of course, it's well intentioned. But I think that can also be where that starts is pushing a child past their limit and not having them be in tune with their hunger and full cues and maybe pushing past that. So I think this creates a, a less goal oriented way of eating. I'm glad we did it. Absolutely. Yeah. And another piece that you brought up that I absolutely love that we try to do at every meal is to have them there eating their own food. At least, well, we're eating the same food, but they they're deciding they're, they're choosing, hey, hey, dad, can I have some of that? And, you know, Luca will get some salad out of the bowl or Kai will, you know, pick up another hamburger or whatever it is. And they're they're really deciding what they want to eat and how much of it they want to eat instead of us telling them, well, you need to eat this much. Absolutely. And I think that's another another point, too, is it's easy within our society to think, oh, kids like sweet foods or they need, you know, the pasta or the carbs. And I think marketing wise, they've really grabbed onto that. Right. There's so many crackers and carbohydrate foods that actually have a lot of hidden sugar in it that are geared towards kids. But, you know, and we think, oh, Kids shouldn't like vegetables, but really if they're in front of them and that's what they're used to eating, if that's what is being modeled at your dinner table, if you have a variety of the foods that you would eat and let them choose out of that because you know that Mm -hmm. there's healthy options instead of having, oh, this meal for the kids, this meal for the adults, then if it's a healthy dinner that you're making for yourselves, you know that your child can choose anything within that meal and it's going to be a healthy option for them too. And another piece that we found to be really helpful is to uh, make it fun in some way. So at times we'd have broccoli on the table. Sometimes they love the broccoli, other times they don't want the broccoli. And the times they don't want the broccoli, we typically will hold them up and say, cheers. Yeah, we went through a big cheersing phase. (laughs) That's true. And, uh, you know, encourage the listeners too. if if you get curious or if you if you just have fun at the dinner table in some way, um, you know, your kids will eat better. That's what we found. And to take the stress away, too. Yeah, absolutely. And I think 
not to say that our kids have never been picky because there's definitely times when they're not. And in those times we have used different dips or, you know, we went through a period of using nutritional yeast and sprinkling nutritional yeast on the steamed broccoli and we called it fairy dust. And so we would let our son sprinkle the fairy dust for whatever reason love that it. made it so much more exciting. It gives it a little cheesy taste. They're getting some good B vitamins. So yeah, be creative. I think another thing too is we often think that babies want more bland foods, but actually spice is exciting even for a younger child. I remember when we were making egg yolk omelets for Kai and he loved them and then all of a sudden didn't. And so I started adding cumin or a little bit of curry powder to them and he gobbled them up, you know? So I think we don't want to use hot sauce for kids. We don't want to use salt for kids in excessive ways, especially for, for a young infant. But I think not being afraid to add flavor and spice, it actually, just like it does for adults, it makes it exciting for kids and it changes things up. And I think it really helps to develop their palate because I think the more you do before the age of three, it'll probably make it easier going forward. Mm -hmm. I agree. Well, let's transition into talking about older fussy eaters. Okay. So we've, we've got our son, uh, Kai, who's around seven and a half right now, and he's in a new phase of being fussy. Uh, so let's give some tips and other things around what we can do. What else can we help? Yeah. Well, so one thing that we've been doing lately is finding something we know they like. So our kids are gluten free. They do like bread and they love bread, like anything like that. And so one thing that's been super helpful lately is, and he actually doesn't like eggs. He's kind of gone through a no egg phase. Mm -hmm. And so what I've done is I've found some gluten-free pie crust and I will make a quiche. So I will blend up eggs with pesto. It's actually like a walnut kale vegan pesto, saute zucchini, onions. Sometimes we'll do broccoli, whatever veggies you want to put in there and bake the quiche. And literally our kids come home. They're not even focused on the fact that there's veggies in there and eggs in there. They see that pie crust and they're like, pie. Yeah, it's pie to them. And they eat the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, that's a great way to get vegetables into them. So find something that you know they like, like the pie crust. Like literally I could put anything in there and they're just so focused on the fact that it's in a pie crust that they will eat it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's why we make quiche probably once a week around here. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> we're on a quiche roll. Now, another way that I found to be uh, creative in, in bringing more vegetables into something or food is a smoothie. Absolutely. And generally in the last couple of weeks, I've been making a smoothie that has uh, half a banana. We have some hemp or almond milk that I put in there and I'll throw some frozen blueberries and I'll throw in two heaping handfuls of uh, like a greens mix, like a super greens mix. Mm -hmm. Or spinach. Or Almost spinach. Always you can hide it in there without right? tasting it. With and a banana or some blueberries. I'll throw in sometimes a big, you know, tablespoon of like a nut butter, like an almond butter or a mixed nut and seed butter. Yeah, good and, fat and protein. And then I'll also throw in some MCT oil. And the last couple of weeks and even a couple of months for that matter, I've been throwing in some colostrum to help support, you know, their immune systems and their gut and everything. And when I make that, uh, Kai loves it. He drinks it all the time, ask for it, you know, every morning. Mm -hmm. And that's a great way to get those vegetables in there, like those, those greens. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Usually greens for breakfast for a child can be tricky. So that is a great way. 
Now, another way that I think works for fussy eaters is to to allow them to get involved in the dinner process or the lunch process or whatever it is that you're making in the kitchen. So if you bring them in there and you want to have them stir up something or, you know, take one of the spatulas and get something out of the bowl or help put ingredients into the pot if you're making a stew or a soup or something like that, that seems to get them really into it. And then once they've seen how it's been cooked and prepared, they're ready to eat it at the dinner table. Absolutely. Again, with the difficulty with eggs, you know, we started doing French toast and Kai was able to crack the eggs, dip the bread. We let him do it on the skillet and turn it. And he wanted to make French toast every day. Well, and, and I mean, so good for him and also good as a parent because it teaches us to be patient. Absolutely. All those spills that occur and pans that get dropped and glasses that break and whatever it is. You know, I just take a big deep breath and say, well, hey, this is teaching him how to eat better foods. And it's giving him ownership and a sense of responsibility and contributing to the family. And I think all of that's really important, especially if you can be there supervising, you know, let them be a part of it. Pull, you know, pull a stool up for your younger child or, you know, have them sit on the counter in a safe way and really watch you making the food, have them be a part of it. Now, when we go out to dinner, which we do around once or twice a week, mm -hmm. and uh, we'll go to Indian food, for example, love that place. What we'll do is we will never ask for the children the menu. And I am, I am just 100% on that because I find that the children's menu, the kids' menu, uh, has a bunch of junk food on it. And it's, I think, unfortunate that we as, you know, a culture, we tend to just separate out, well, this is children's food. You're going to have your mac and cheese and your, your hot dogs and whatever it is and else in there, your chicken nuggets. And then there's going to be the adult food. So when we go out and they ask me, do you want the children's menu? I say, no, thank you. I want my child to choose off the adult menu. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of high carbs. It's a lot of wheat and dairy. I think we, because we did delay wheat and dairy, it often wasn't an option for us, but you know, some things that I found really helpful was for us to choose what we were going to have and then give the child pieces of that. So if we're getting a chicken breast, cut some pieces of chicken for the child. If we're, you know, getting veggies on the side, beans or anything like that, the child can easily eat that. And another thing is looking at the soups. And mm -hmm. and choosing a soup for your child. Right. And also, let's say my older son, Kai, loves hamburgers. So we'll get him a hamburger with uh, no bun or a gluten free bun if it's available or a lettuce wrap. And if they ask for fries, well, before they even ask for fries, I'll say, I'll have the salad option, please. The salad side. So in front of them, he's got the salad. <laughs> Oops, buddy. Sorry, they don't have fries. Yeah, they don't have here. fries today, but I'm sorry. Okay. Well, what about, you know, supplementation uh, with, with different, you know, vitamins and minerals and such? What, what is your take on that? Because obviously we try our best as parents to, to feed our children nutrient dense foods. We know that the soils these days are not as rich as they were, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago in terms of nutrient intake. So w what do we do? What do you recommend to our listeners about supplementation? Yeah, I think that, you know, there's different periods where kids might be more picky, more fussy, their appetite might change, and parents might be concerned, is my child getting enough nutrients? I think always if we can 
can get it from the diet by eating the colors of the rainbow, that's ideal. But if that isn't happening and that's a struggle in your house, a way to kind of ease that anxiety, probably mostly for the parents, is to know that there are some helpful supplementation options that can be used. So something like a good quality kids multivitamin, I would try to stay away from the gummy multivitamins or any uh, multivitamin that contains sugar. It's just not great for the teeth. And, you know, anything that has any dyes, of course, we wouldn't want to do, but there's some great options out there. Another thing that we love are probiotics supports their gut health. Of course, all the veggies and everything also supports their gut health. But, you know, probiotics are amazing for immune support, all of that. So that's definitely something that we've included for our kids. Cod liver oil or fish oil has those good omega oils, really great for the brain and nervous system development. Um, The cod liver oil has that good vitamin D, vitamin A, um, also giving additional vitamin D by itself, depending on how much sun exposure your family gets and where you might live. And what else? Those are those are the main ones. Yeah. And I mentioned earlier colostrum, just because I find that during the fall and winter months, when the you know cold and flu season is at its peak, it's it's good to support their immune system uh, by using colostrum. Yeah, and colostrum, as a reminder, is that first milk that mom produces after the baby is born. It's super high in immunoglobulins, which is really great for the immune system. And it also helps to heal the leaky, more permeable gut of a newborn. So it's really supportive for the whole digestive system. And you can also get it from grass-fed cows. And so that is the form that we've been using. Well, I want to make sure we talk a little bit about sugar and and hidden sugars and foods. Now, I think our listeners are aware of of soda being one drink that I would certainly not recommend that your children drink. Um, There's other foods like ketchup, for example, that uh, our kids love that does have a high amount of of sugar in it. And there's other foods that too are just hidden with sugar. So let's talk a little bit about sugar and how to avoid that. Yeah. I mean, when you talk about soda, I think another drink that is often in many people's fridges that they don't think about and even serve for breakfast is juice, right? Like orange juice with loaded with sugar. Yeah. I mean, and well intentioned and it has vitamin C in it, but I would much rather a child eat the whole orange because then you get the fiber too. That's moderating that glucose spike. That juice by itself is a huge hit of sugar, Mm -hmm. which, um, You really want to make sure they're having some good protein to help balance that. I think there's a lot of marketing done to kids that includes sugar. And so even health foods that are out there, you really want to read the ingredients and make sure there's not added sugar there. For the example, I was sitting with a mom and she was in a rush. She was grabbing her coffee in the morning and wanted to grab something for her son and grabbed one of those Adwala fruit smoothie drinks. You know, great. There's some veggies in there. There's some fruit in there. That's a healthy option. She turned it around and saw that there was 47 grams of sugar in there. 47 grams of sugar. And it wasn't just from the fruit. There's actually cane sugar added. And so you wouldn't think, oh, I'm, you know, I'm getting a healthy healthy juice. Right. I'm getting a healthy smoothie. But you always got to take a look because you'll be surprised. So many hidden things are in there. With our boys, uh, we we do buy gluten-free bread sometimes. We try to buy like a a locally produced bread for that matter, because a lot of these store-bought gluten-free breads contain sugar in them. You have to look on the ingredient and you may find some sugar in there. And a lot of the the, the gluten-free 
pastries and cookies and all that kind of stuff. Those things are loaded with sugar. So we tend to stay away from those. Cereals too. Cereals too. Trying to find a cereal that's sweetened with fruit juice or a maple syrup versus a cane sugar. You don't need all that cane sugar. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I should share the experience that we had with our home dehydrator. Right. We had that Excalibur oh, yeah. massive dehydrator. And we went through this phase where we were putting bananas in there, slicing them up really thinly, adding some cinnamon on top mm-hmm. and dehydrating them for about a day. And we were eating these things like crazy because they we were we, so good. We, we thought to ourselves, well, this is fruit. It's 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 going to be good for us. And lo and behold, within, you know, I think it was around six to nine months later, we all had cavities. And, you know, if you're going to do dried fruit out there, which we sometimes do in like a trail mix or something like that, I'd recommend just brushing your teeth after or flossing your teeth to make sure you get that that dried fruit out of there, because that can just lead to cavity production. I think it's really easy, especially when you're on the go with kids, you want something that is dry because it's easy to pass to them. They're not, you know, you're already changing their clothes so many times a day. You don't want them to get messy on their clothes and have a whole nother thing to deal with. But so many of the dried fruit options, dried food options, crackers, dried fruit, you know, even the crackers, they stick to your teeth. Definitely the dried fruit sticks to your teeth and it can precipitate cavities, which we don't want. Mm -hmm. So Honestly, with the baby led weaning, we would just strip our kids down. Our youngest ate naked until he was at least three. <laughs> well, sometimes he's still eats something. It's but. true. <laughs> uh, one more thing I want to mention about sugar is that when we make a, uh, a drink with like Pellegrino and we put some lemon juice in there, I might add some uh, flavored stevia, like a vanilla stevia, and the kids love it. Right. And then they're not getting any sugar in there. Yeah. Absolutely. And there's those uh, stevia sodas out there mm-hmm. that actually taste pretty good, too. And so sometimes as a treat, we'll give our kids one of those. Mm-hmm. Or even just sparkly water with a splash of juice. You know, if they if you want a little bit of that flavoring, put like a little splash of orange juice with sparkling water, a little splash of pomegranate juice or something like that. So you're getting the flavor, but you're not getting that high amount. That's a great point. Well, what's your take on dairy in children? Yeah. I mean, I think it depends what's going on for the family. Were they able to breastfeed or were they introduced to formula at a younger age and have they already been having dairy through the formula? I think dairy is one of the top allergens. So it's always something that I'm checking in on looking at possible congestion or digestive symptoms. I know even for our kids, both of them reacted to dairy through my breast milk. You know, one of them was much more fussy, colicky, spat up a lot every time I had dairy. And then our other child didn't really, wasn't fussy at all, but every time I had dairy in my diet, he would have green poos. So For them, we delayed the introduction of dairy until they were after a year old and then introduced it systematically to see how they reacted to it. So I think it depends if your family reacts to it and then, you know, being extra mindful about when you introduce it, how you introduce it is important just to make sure you're not missing a reaction and then continuing to feed your something your child something that they react to. Well, it's also the, the the type of dairy too, right? The type of, let's say cheese, for example, like if we do buy cheese for our kids, we'll buy like um, a, a sheep's cheese or like a goat's cheese, because typically speaking, there's less um, allergic potential with that or allergenicity. Yeah, absolutely. Most kids that 
the cow dairy can be quite irritating to the infant gut. Sometimes kids grow out of that at around three to four months, but sometimes the goat and the sheep can be better tolerated and has less of the casein in the way if that's what they're, those two proteins, which if that's what they're reacting to. So yeah, I think playing around with different types of dairy to see what is more easily tolerated is a great idea. I think another thing to think of is, you know, dairy can be wonderful. It can be a protein option. It can have calcium, other nutrients in it much better if as long as you tolerate it well than juice or soda, for example. But with any fluid that's filling up a child, you want to make sure that they're not filling up on, you want to make sure that they're having enough, but they're not filling up on the formula or their milk and not eating enough of the variety of healthy options that you're putting out on the dinner table. So it's kind of that fine balance. Mm -hmm. And for our listeners that uh, don't have any dairy in their home, whether there is a lactose intolerance or there's a milk allergy or something like that, what do you recommend for alternative milks? So we actually never introduced an alternative milk as something that our kids would drink out of a cup. Our primary liquid was always water. So there was no question that if it was out of their water bottle that we were taking with us or at the dinner table, it was always water, no questions asked. But if we were cooking with something, if we were adding something to a smoothie, if we were, you know, adding it to an oatmeal or granola, then we would use an alternative milk. And we've gone through different phases of making our own almond milk, making our own cashew milk, using coconut milk, using hemp milk, using almond milk. You know, I think being mindful of the the type. There's a lot of milk alternatives that are actually pretty highly glycemic and there's... Well, they add sugar to them. They add sugar to them. There's a lot more stabilizing gums in them. And when you pare it down, there's actually not that much of the actual almond, for example, in there. So everything in moderation, you know, is kind of a good way to go by. I agree. Another thing too, is if you're really starting to introduce some new foods and you you know, want more protein into your child or anything like that. I think making suggestions of dipping a salmon burger in ketchup or a hamburger in ketchup is not a bad idea. If it's going to help get your child used to that flavor and eating it, we've definitely gone through that. So, you know, be gentle with yourself, be gentle with your child. And if you need those little tools to help get down a more varied diet in the introductory stages, I think that's okay. And what we do is when we buy ketchup, we make sure it does not have high fructose corn syrup in it. Yes. Yeah. I would say go for organic, make sure, I mean, it's going to have sugar, but yes, avoid the high fructose corn syrup. And in our case, when our kids started eating too much ketchup, we got the ketchup that had no sugar. It was completely unsweetened. (laughs) Surprise. (laughs) And then we slowly took it away and then there was no ketchup. So you can do a stepwise approach. One other thing I wanted to bring up was about, you know, sitting together as a family at the same dinner table and creating an appreciation around your meal, maybe by giving a blessing or a moment of thanks to the farmers, you know, being grateful for the food. Both of our kids are in Waldorf program. And so they, they do that. There's no religious about it. If there is a religious aspect in your family, you can absolutely bring that in. But I think it's a really wonderful way to create cohesion as a family and kind of set the stage and preparation that, okay, 
We're grateful. We're getting into our relaxed parasympathetic state, which will support healthy digestion. You know, your, your dad yeah. often has a blessing before we eat as a family, which I think is really lovely. And do you want to share also what we've been doing probably for the last year or so about uh, we'll sit down at the dinner table and our children will ask, what are you grateful for today? Uh, what was good about your day? And also what was bad about your day? Yeah. When you're eating together as a family, it's just a really wonderful time to connect, to talk about your day, to share the highlights, to share the struggles. And so what we've been doing is going around and saying the best part of your day, the most challenging part of your day, and two or three things that you're grateful for. And I'm always amazed that it is Luca, our youngest, who just turned four, who will say the best part of your day. Like he always always remembers it. And he's really attentive in listening to what everyone's saying. So I think it's a wonderful time to just connect and spend time as a family. If you can have your meals together. And I feel like we really prioritize the family meals. We've we kind do. of adjusted our schedules so that when at all possible, we can be eating together as a family. Not everyone is able to do that, but even if you can prioritize one or two nights a week, it's definitely better than nothing. And then you're also modeling healthy etiquette, healthy communication, waiting, you know, turn taking during discussions, waiting until someone else is done being asked when you can be excused. You know, you're modeling healthy table etiquette, which I think is important and easier when you can do it earlier rather than later. Of course. Well, we have talked about so much today about uh, fussy eaters, and uh, we want to leave our listeners with some takeaways. Yeah. So number one, if you are listening to this and you are about to introduce food, we recommend researching baby led weaning and see if this feels like a good fit for you and your family. When possible, we recommend prioritizing family meals and eating together. Not only does this model healthy eating choices and habits, but it is also a chance to model table etiquette and getting together as a family. If your child is older, you can still model healthy eating choices. It is never too late to change for yourself and your family. You can clear out the foods from your house that you don't want your child to consume because most likely it isn't a great choice for you either. So you can make that commitment as a family and that can start with you. And hidden sugar. We talked a lot about this today. So be careful of foods marketed to kids and make sure you read labels. You may want to supplement. These can include a multivitamin, vitamin D, probiotics, and fish oil, depending on your child's diet and their nutritional needs. Before we wrap up this episode of Be Healthistic, it's time to share our wellness wisdom for today. Since Brianna is joining me on the show today, and she happens to be my parenting partner in crime, I'm going to allow her to share some tips today. As we talked about today, sitting around the dinner table and getting a healthy meal into your kids can be really challenging, especially if you have picky eaters. So in keeping with our discussion, here's a few clever strategies you can use to avoid the power struggle and help the picky eater in your family eat a little more balanced diet. I'm gonna share with you five tips which I think are the most important. Number one, respect your child's appetite or lack of one. If your child isn't hungry, don't force a meal or snack. Be patient with new foods. Your child might need repeat exposure to a new food before he or she takes the first bite. Encourage your child by talking about the food's color, shape, 
aroma, and texture, not just the taste. And be a role model. If they see you eating it, they're going to be more likely to eat it too. Don't be a short order cook. Preparing a separate meal for your child after he or she rejects the original meal might promote picky eating, and it may also promote resentment for you. Recruit your child's help in shopping, making the meals, so that they can also be a part of meal production and have ownership over the meal. Be creative and have fun. Try hiding veggies, making a smoothies, or cheersing. I hope some of these suggestions I mentioned lead to a greater peace and harmony at the dinner table for you and your family. Remember, everyone, if you liked what you heard today and you want to be an active member of the Be Healthistic community, subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your favorites, and subscribe to the Healthy Directions YouTube channel. You can also find more great content and information from us and the Healthy Directions team at HealthyDirections.com. Well, I'm Dr. Drew Sinatra. And I'm Dr. Brianna Sinatra. And this is Be Healthistic. Thanks for listening to Be Healthistic, powered by our friends at Healthy Directions with Drs. Drew and Steve Sinatra. See you next time.